0: I keep quoting these two sociologists from Indiana who have been studying the impact of the pandemic on women. And they have this great line, which is that other countries have social safety nets and the U.S. has women. Um, And I love that because it really is true that here in this country, we don't have an infrastructure to support caregiving. And as a consequence, women have been disproportionately burdened in our nation during this time.
1: That was Lab CEO and co-founder Amy Henderson on the impact of COVID-19 on women in the workforce. And in today's episode, I'm really excited to sit down with Amy and their COO, Kim Rohrer, to talk just about how much the impact of COVID-19 has impacted both women in the workforce and caretakers in general. We're going to get into some of the statistics and numbers behind the impact and ideas on ways that we can better support uh, women in the workforce and taking care of our caretakers. So we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from Pin. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining HR podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am thrilled to have not one, but two guests with me for today's episode. I'll be speaking with the co founders and COO and co founder and CEO of TenLab, Amy Henderson and Kim Rohrer. And we're going to be talking about TenLab's journey and we're going to be talking about a pressing issue that we can all relate to, and I imagine. Many of you listeners can as well in terms of the impact of the pandemic on working parents and really kind of the impact beyond the pandemic. But certainly these times we're in right now are particularly challenging for those of us who are also parents and employees. So Kim, Amy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, Amy, I want to start with you. I'd love to have both of you just give a brief introduction and background on you for the listeners.
0: Great. So good to be here, Lars. Uh, So I'm Amy Henderson and I am a movement builder by background. I was running an organization I'd co-founded with Van Jones and the deep support of the rock star prince called Yes We Code when I accidentally got pregnant with my third kid and had three under the age of four. And when my third was born, because I am lucky enough to be in the 14% of Americans who have access to paid family leave. I started calling up the working moms I most admired to say, look, is it just this hard to be a working parent or am I struggling because of me and my unique shortcomings and the bad decisions I've made? Because I really can't imagine how I'm going to function with three kids under the age of four and this full-time job that I really love. And what I discovered in those conversations with first just moms and then Reluctantly, I also included dads, and I'll tell you how that came about and why I'm so glad I did. Um, What I discovered is that it's actually incredibly hard to be a working parent in the U.S. And in fact, as I dug deeper into other research beyond just my own, I found that it's harder to be a working parent in the U.S. than in any other developed nation in the world. Um, and that the challenges that I was facing were not because of me and my bad decisions and unique shortcomings, but because we do not have an infrastructure here in this nation to meaningfully support parents or any caregiver uh, at work. Um, And so I launched a business called TendLab to to solve for that. And one other story I'll share just to ground what we do at TendLab. My first co-founder, who's still actively involved as an advisor, Um, I went and sat down with her and said, look, I discovered that it's harder to be a working parent in the U.S. than in any other developed nation in the world. But I also discovered that when parents get the support they need, they're likely to unlock a whole host of career critical skills. And when I shared with her what those skills were, she dropped her fork on her plate and said, oh, my God, Amy, we spend more money than I care to admit training our leaders to develop these skills and you're telling me parenthood possibly more than anything else develops them and i said yep and so she joined me uh she left twitter where she'd been the original vp of hr and dni she left twitter joined me and we launched Lab to optimize the workplace for parents that was five years ago
1: yeah i mean it's uh it's so you, you touch on so much in that that i think certainly resonates with me and i'd imagine most parents out there i mean being a parent The the natural insecurity that just comes with that and and figuring all of that out is hard enough on its own. But I think in the context of how we view supporting parents or better framed, uh, not supporting parents in the U.S. is a particular challenge. So I definitely I look forward to kind of learning more about that in this conversation. Uh, And Kim, I'd love to get your perspective. You know, you you came on. Directly with Ten Lab, you know, last year, what what attracted you to the mission and work there?
2: Yeah, I so I spent the last decade plus building people ops teams within tech companies. That's my my trade and the career path I was on. Uh, I was sort of unceremoniously laid off while on maternity leave during COVID, uh, and was looking for something more meaningful that I could do myself that would more meaningfully connect parenthood and people ops. For, for a long time, my, my People Ops philosophy has been around grounding values-driven cultures and grounding culture in inclusivity. And even before I became a parent, a large part of that was creating expansive and inclusive leave policies. Even though the companies I worked for were you know 30 people when I first launched our policies, um, I always felt like it was a really important part of company culture to recognize that work is not everything for most of your employees, whether they're parents or students or caregivers of other kinds, or they just have hobbies that they contribute to outside of work. Making a company a place where you can be your whole self uh, has always been really important to me. And so when I was looking for something to do once the postpartum haze kind of started lifting (laughs) a bit, um, one of our colleagues from the People Tech Partners community introduced me to Amy. And said, "I don't know if there's a there there, but I feel like you should probably know each other." And Amy and I clicked right away, and I'm just very inspired by by the idea of this major transformational change that needs to happen in our country. That like the, the time is now, um, and it felt like uh, to to be a little floofy. It felt sort of like a greater calling to to combine my my work skills and my passions for for supporting parents at work.
1: Yeah, well, look, and I'm sure you know you both have hard data on this, but you know, and the employee populations who also happen to be parents is massive, and if we can support them more effectively, the amount of potential we can unlock, uh, you know, for them. So, if we're looking at this as you know, how to be Good corporate citizens and and how to support you know the human side of what we do that's there. But if you're board driven by ROI and bottom line, like that's clearly there as well. So, um, you know, Amy, I want to come back to you in terms of for listeners that aren't familiar with Ten Lab, you, you you kind of kind of opened up and set a bit of a expectation of of where you work. But let's talk a bit more about how you work, like walk walk us inside the the kind of model and the structure for 10Lab and and how you work with companies.
0: Great, yeah. So we started back in 2015 and initially we were a boutique consulting firm focused on going in and doing very customized in-depth engagements with our client companies and we had some really great learnings doing that. Um, I'll share one that I think is important to this conversation today, which is that with our first client company, we surveyed the entire workforce to see how parenthood was experienced by everyone. And we discovered that parenthood at work impacts everyone, whether or not you have kids, and we can go into all of that, but uh, I'm sure if this is a community of HR leaders who are listening, that, that that's really well understood, because. You know, when someone goes out on leave, when someone has a harder boundaries around their time and constraints around how and when they can show up, everyone on the team is impacted by that. And it's an incredible opportunity to develop better systems and structures that more meaningfully support everyone in setting boundaries. But all too often, that isn't what happens. And it ends up building resentment. Um, and so we surveyed everyone. And then we went in and we did this presentation which we had over 90% of all employees show up for around how parenthood makes people better at work. And so we were very proud of ourselves. I remember, um, Janet, my uh, first co-founder, who's very glamorous, was wearing pleather pants and these incredible 2 edge heels. And I'd blown out my hair, so I looked all fancy. And we're standing in front of the room, and we were, you know, these are all these great skills that parenthood unlocks. And I shared all the research, and I have a bit of a background in neuroscience, so we put them up. And it's, you know, the emotional intelligence, uh, capacity to collaborate, um, enhanced efficiency and productivity, greater courage, and enhanced purpose, that these are all the skills that um, neuroscience research, as well as other hard science tells us that when parents get support, they can develop. Um, And we also talked about how uh, Dr. Ruth Feldman, who's a neuroscientist at Yale School of Medicine, has found that the greatest potential for plasticity in the adult human brain is in the year surrounding the birth of one's child. And that's true not just for moms, not just for birth moms, but for all parents of all genders who show up for the job in a very meaningful way. And so we stood up and we shared all this data, and we thought people were going to be so excited. Look at this amazing thing. We're dismantling all the bias, all the myths about how parenthood undermines you at work. And instead, we found that people in the audience were really quiet. (laughs) and and muted. And so we, um, you know, fortunately, I like talking about the hard things. So I sort of, you know, pulled in the mom belly that I'd been sucking in because I was trying to look professional and sort of walked out into the room and said, okay, why, what's going on? Why are people having a hard time with this information? And what we discovered is that because we didn't talk about how hard it is to be a working parent, and the very real challenges that folks face and the bias that's very real, both for moms and engaged dads, that people couldn't hear what we were saying. Um, And we've since learned that if we can't talk about the pain and shame that is part of being a working parent in the U.S. today, that our message doesn't resonate. So that's a big part of what we do now, is we're very upfront about the fact that there is pain and shame in being a working parent, but that it's not our fault because we live in a structure that doesn't meaningfully support working parents, and and employers, you know, in the absence of any real federal support, as we're the only nation in the developed world that doesn't provide any form of paid family leave, with the exception of Papua New Guinea, um, you know, employers are really stuck carrying the burden of that responsibility, and and often struggle to to figure out how to do that well. Um, so, so, this is a long-winded way of saying when we go into companies, we were customized in depth engagements at first. We then developed some um, sort of standard trainings and workshops based on all our experiences inside companies that were both for the entire workplace and for subsets of the workplace, for parents, for managers, for senior leadership. Um, but then when Covid struck, we have transitioned into not just working inside individual workplaces but to being movement builders and so now at 10 lab and i'll I'll let kim weigh in on more of this in greater detail but now at 10 lab we are continuing to work inside companies to optimize the workplace for parents but we're also working to mobilize organizations and institutions to build coalitions, to change the game for working parents. And we're working with a lot of really exciting partners right now to, to mobilize awareness, engagement, and action.
1: Yeah, and Kim, I'd love to hear more from you. Yeah, I mean that's a, that, that's a great kind of segue. Um, Kim, do you want to take it from there and kind of get into some more sure. of those the programs that you're involved with from a from a mobilization standpoint?
2: Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I'm really excited about working with working through Ten Lab uh, on is the ability for us to partner with different organizations and communities um, to to build more together. Because if you know this, Lars, I think. The, the HR community is, in my experience, is like pretty uniquely community oriented, especially lately. Um, I think the HR community for a long time has cared so deeply about, um, about creating better workplaces that are more equitable and more inclusive and fostering this sense of belonging amongst all employees that it's really exciting for me to now be on the other side of the table and be able to really deeply engage with. My, my people peers to to learn from what others are doing and also to to build stronger together. Um, we're, we have a new partnership with People Tech Partners where we're providing opportunities for HR leaders in that community to be public about the work that they're doing to support parents. Um, we also, Amy is the co-founder and still is running the FamTech Collaborative, which is a group of, Correct me if I'm wrong, Amy. I think it's about 160 now um, mm-hmm. founders and CEOs of companies in the space of helping companies and helping parents uh, better support working caregivers. Um, and we're we've started getting really involved. Um, I, can't, I can't help but get involved on the political spectrum with this because it is something I care so deeply about, and I sure. believe that you know the only way we're going to have change is if we if we're attacking this from all sides. This can't just be something that only the private sector is doing or only individual activists are doing or only government is doing. This has to be, uh, as Amy said, a coalition. And so, you know, wh- while we're still offering programming individually within companies, we're, we're expanding into broader work within our, within our communities and finding ways to help our, the people who are a part of this, this movement to, to be more active participants.
1: Hey everyone i hope you're enjoying the show i want to take a brief break to share a new initiative that i think you'll find helpful redefining hr started with this podcast and evolved into a best-selling book laying a framework for modern hr and people operations i'm excited to share the next evolution the redefining hr accelerator the accelerator is a full platform to build inspire and support the next generation of people leaders Including cohort programs, courses, open source resources, and most importantly, community. Thanks to listeners like you, Redefining HR is now broadened into a tire platform focused on building readiness for tomorrow's HR today. Learn more at RedefiningHR.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, and I, you know, I appreciate the the framing around coalitions and community and the different, um, you know, stakeholders for lack of a better word that will, that will be involved in this. And I think particularly now, as we talk about the, you know, the devastating impact of the pandemic, like the pandemic has been, it's been hard for everybody, right? It's whether you're a working parent or an individual, it's been, it's been difficult for you, but I think working parents, particularly in the U S where our support networks of school, uh, has been stripped away for many of us. Uh, I've, you know, been we've been doing homeschooling here, so I can appreciate that. So it's been uniquely challenging on us, but even more so, significantly disproportionately impactful to working women. And uh, just this week, I was reading a, a CBS News report that said nearly three million women have left the workforce since the pandemic hit. And, and I'm curious to get your perspectives, like as you as you think about how you engage in the private sector, the public sector, government sector, and, and build coalitions across those, how do we begin to recoup those losses to our workforce, those those significantly and overwhelmingly lopsided towards women, uh, you know, impact to the workforce as a result of the pandemic?
0: I'm happy to take a stab at that one to start with. And then, Kim, please feel free to weigh in. Yeah, Please. Um, You know, I keep quoting these two sociologists from Indiana who have been studying the impact of the pandemic on women, and they have this great line, which is that other countries have social safety nets and the U.S. has women. Um, And I love that because (laughs) it really is true that here in this country, we don't have an infrastructure to support caregiving. And as a consequence, women have been disproportionately burdened in our nation during this time. And, you know, I'll go back to when I was first introducing myself and talking about where I started with TEN Lab, when only interviewing moms felt like the only path forward. When I discovered the research around how dads can transform as much as primary care breastfeeding birth mothers if they show up for the job, it changed a lot for me both personally and professionally in terms of my focus for this work. Um, Personally, I can share that my 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 youngest was six months old when I discovered that, and I told my husband, hey look, did you know that you can have the same instinctual response to our child as I do, but only if you show up for the job? And he said great you know how do i do that and what we started doing at night was when our littlest would cry when she would wake up um and i would like i had done with my previous two kids like wake up the second she thought about crying um (laughs) and (laughs) and my husband would snore like that you know he would snore through anything i mean the house would burn down and he would be happily snoring next to me um what i started doing was waking him up at night and what what happened is that he was able to put her to sleep faster and she stayed asleep longer when he was the one that went to her and she was about nine months old so this has been happening for about three months when we were in the kitchen one morning and he said to me hey how come you didn't wake me up last night and i said what do you mean and he said well you know grace woke up and you didn't wake me up and i said you heard her and i didn't (laughs) and he said yep (laughs) it was a miracle and that and that actually then continued to happen and so i had seen firsthand that it was possible for you know, uh, my husband, who I thought would never develop the same capacity as me, for him to, d- to develop those same instinctual responses to our kids. And he's now much more um, bonded to our third and much more capable of showing up for our older two because he earned it. He had to gain that by showing up in those yeah. hard moments. And so what I would say as it relates to this conversation is that you know, We as a nation, and I would say as a global community, although the Norwegian countries are far ahead of us on this one, I think the solution to our to our inequitable status of caregiving in the country is to recognize that men are just as capable as women, and that they should show up for the job, not just because it's good for their wives, which research shows it's good for them, their mental health and their careers, Not just good for their kids, which research shows it's good for their mental health, confidence and academic performance, and not just good for the dads, which I wrote an article in Slate about how men who show up for caregiving are likely to develop all these career critical skills that I've talked about, but also because it's it's incredibly important for our workplaces that we have people of all genders showing up for caregiving so they can develop the skills that we need in the modern workplace and these skills are more important now than ever and and it is an economic imperative that we start to resource prioritize and value the people who possibly more than anyone else are capable of developing them
2: yeah and I would I to piggyback on that Amy I think, We've been talking a lot about the future of work, and I know, Lars, this is a, a hot topic in your world as well right now. What does the return to the workplace look like? And what does the future of work look like? And there is no future of work that I can imagine without supporting working parents, without supporting working caregivers as a whole. This can't just be a women's issue. As as staggering as these numbers are, and they're they are staggering, this can't be a women's issue. This can't just be about Women are leaving the workforce. How do we get women back into the workforce? This has to be a, a human issue. This has to be an all-encompassing issue that we've learned so much in this last year about all of the things that are broken, about the way working caregivers exist in companies and in the, the world. Uh, we can't go backwards. There is there is no future without changing the way we we integrate care and work.
1: Yeah, and I'm actually, uh, as, we, as we look at we think about some of the conversations we're having right now around like return to workplace and the increase in, uh, you know, hybrid and remote structures and, you know, the very definitions of work, like a lot of our, you know, what we consider to be work is kind of held over thinking from the industrial age, right? It happens, uh, Monday through Friday. It happens nine to five. It has to happen in office. Uh, it's deeply embedded with, you know, gender stereotypes of the role of a, of a, you know, man and a woman, particularly as it relates to, to leave policies, you know, and I'm wondering if this, this big kind of, um, you know, reset in a lot of ways that we have a unique opportunity for uh, will actually begin to change some of those long held beliefs, particularly looking at more employees, um, you know, not interested in going back into an office and certainly not, Five days a week, like uh, what, what do you see as as we have these conversations and as more companies shift towards hybrid and remote models, how do you see that impacting you know their ability to create more more equitable uh, programs and support systems for their working parents?
2: One thing that I that I think is super interesting about this that's like tapping into all of my my workplace and people ops, whatever part of my lizard brain is still functioning in that world, like. <laughs> There's this idea that I always subscribed to that um, flexible work arrangements are the best for everyone, allowing people to work remote if that works for them, come into the office if that works for them, and just letting employees decide what is their best work environment, that that was sort of a a really good way to be. Um, and through some of the research we've been doing lately, i've I've really changed my thinking, and the really important thing is intentionality and communication around this type of, New way of working because one of the things that we we've learned in some of our research lately has been around that if you allow flexible work arrangements and it's a come to the office if you want stay home if you want guess who's going to be the one likely staying home it's going to be a lot yeah. of the women uh, staying home and you know we're obviously this isn't a very heteronormative cisgendered way of thinking <laughs> for simplification purposes it's clearly not um, indicative of the the whole population. Um, but over, broadly speaking, you're going to have the, whoever takes on the primary caregiving responsibilities be the one that works more from home and doesn't have the face time in the office as much. And my concern is that we're going to end up with workplaces that are, once again, predominantly male. And we're, we've been seeing a lot of statistics about how far back the pandemic is setting women's progress in the workforce. And it's like a generation of progress is at risk of being lost here. And that's like, like I'm having heart palpitations thinking about that and the, yeah. the impacts on creating equitable workplaces by, in our efforts to try to be flexible, we have to make sure that we're being really intentional about what the impacts are going to be on our workplaces.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's such a great point. And I think, uh, you know, in general, defaulting to choice where you can, uh, I you know, that's certainly a best practice, but um, you have to be mindful of some of the uh, impact of, of those decisions, uh, on on scenarios like this. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Lars, actually, can I make a point on that too, which Kim, great job on bringing that point up. Um, you know, one of the things that I have studied a lot and have written about quite a bit in my book, which is coming out in May, and I'm excited to do a de-boxing with my kids and film it just like you did, (laughs) Lars, that's such a great idea. Um, I have a book coming out called Tending Parenthood and the Future of Work um, by Nation Builder Books, which is coming out on Mother's Day this year. And what I discovered in researching and writing the book, which is also the foundation for Ten Lab, is that, um, you know, the Nordic countries in the in the 60s discovered that they had this problem with women when they had children leaving the workplace and so they decided to create a bunch of mom-friendly policies which is what i'm seeing happen right now in the u.s you can get sort of a flexible job share you could have um, you know you can work remote you can you know potentially even what's happening in academia where there's like pauses on the promotion cycle the tenure cycle you know really making it accommodating for for women who have caregiving responsibilities particularly kids And what they found is that it allowed women to maintain jobs, but not careers, that they got mommy-tracked. They got sidelined into positions without any upward mobility. And so in the 90s, they brought together this coalition of a bunch of different leaders. They got celebrities, they got politicians, business leaders, um, researchers, academicians, anyone who had influence in the country, they brought them together and they said, look, how are we gonna change this? How are we gonna support women and rising into leadership positions and they decided to double down on male engagement in parenting Um, and they created this use it or lose it policy for parental leave for dads where you you took all whatever length of time leave you had generally about three months a dad was took all three months of leave or he didn't get a single day of leave And in addition to running these really robust ad campaigns where they had like a tattooed dad with a beer in his hand, like putting the baby in the front pack and they plastered it all over like car shops, Um, you know, like really making it like the manly thing to do to take your (laughs) leave. And what they found is that within a generation, this completely transformed cultural norms around caregiving and the gendered orientation that the rest of the world has had around it. And so now dads within the Nordic countries, they no longer feel like it's a duty. They feel like it's their right to show up for these early years in their children's lives, which research tells us means they're going to be much more involved throughout that kid's life. And that has led to, You know, insights around this other huge report that the Peterson Institute did with like 91 countries and 3,500 companies around the world where they found that one of the very greatest variables that leads to the ability of all women, not just moms, to rise into leadership positions is the availability and usage of paternity leave by dads. So what I'm really hopeful for, as we think about moving into the future, is that we can be very intentional about designing policies that are open and available to all caregivers, and that incentivize men to show up for fatherhood in particular, because we know that's what's going to allow women to survive and thrive and rise into leadership.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, I, I can, as you walk through those posters, I can picture them in my mind exactly what they would look like. I mean, and, you know, from my own experience, like I, I was my, my wife was pregnant with our first child when I started my company, when I started Amplify. And so, uh, when my first child was born, you know, she's, uh, she's six now I was, I worked for myself, you know, so I took a month off and, uh, and it wasn't enough. You know, I, I I kind of went back to work and I was like, I was really sad that I, I wasn't able to kind of continue being there and sharing that experience in that moment. And so in my, Second child was born. Again, I was still, uh, you know, I had my own company. I took three months off and it was amazing. And, and I just, I felt like as fortunate as I felt to have that opportunity and kind of be in a position where I had my own company and allowed me to kind of make that call, uh, I, I, I felt bad that so few dads have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just not something that is, that they're set up to take advantage of. Within And so you have, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, legacy kind of archaic mindset, or there's a real will and a desire, but there aren't the support systems within their company to allow them to do that. Um, You know, it's just, I think we have so much work there to do for, for all the reasons you mentioned, when you have an engaged and active father kind of participating, especially at that stage, it unlocks so many things. And so we have to do what we can to remove you know, more of these barriers so that more dads have those same opportunities. Yep.
0: And Lars, would you tell us a little bit about like how that experience was for you? Like, how did it, how did it transform you showing up for fatherhood in such a meaningful way during that critical? Yeah, I
1: just, I think for me, there was, um, there was no separation of duties. Um, and, and, you know, there, there wasn't a, okay, well, you know, my, my wife was, is breastfeeding. So she's doing that in the evenings and I'm sleeping. Like if she got up to feed either kid, I got up with her and I went in the room with her and I, you know, bought all kinds of random things on Kickstarter, <laughs> uh, which is a really weird way of like, okay, I'm up. I'm like, it's like seriously so many strange things, but I was there and, and I was present. And, and, you know, uh, when, when they got up in the middle of the night, I would help put them down. And I think it just, it was uh, there was a sense that we were in it together. Um, you know, there was a sense that there wasn't this kind of separation. Well, I, I'm a dad. So, and, and that, that has carried through. I mean, my, my daughters are, you know, almost five and six now. And um, you know, that, that has carried through, I think to how we, we interact as a family to this day, there, there's no kind of, uh, you know, gendered roles in terms of you do this or you do that. Uh, and I think having that foundation, then at that at that early stage, um, really allowed us to have the bond and the relationship as a family that we do now. So I think it was uh, it was invaluable.
0: And Lars, how do you think that impacted the way you show up in your work?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I I'm certainly uh, you know I, I I cringe every time I use uh, empathy these days because I think we we over rely on it, especially in HR. But I think. Um, more understanding, uh, more patient, um, more, uh, you know, seeking to understand even more, especially experiences that aren't my own. Um, And so I I think in all those ways, I think it's made me a better, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like I I still have my own company. I have a few different entrepreneurial projects that uh, that I'm uh, responsible for and some different editorial projects as well. But I think I've been able to, because of that experience, I've been able to design, and I feel insanely fortunate for this, um, but design a, a, a life that centers around family. To your, to your point, uh, Lars, about
2: how we, can, how we can sort of incentivize people to show up for this work and for Amy's point around dads showing up, I, f- I feel like I'm in a weirdly fortunate position to sort of A-B test this within my own family. Because when my, when my daughter was born, my husband had no access to paid leave at all. Um, and he took two weeks of, one week of vacation and one week of unpaid leave, and then went back to work when she was less than two weeks old. Um, and then when my son was born, he still had no access to paid leave, but he had access to emergency FMLA leave through the COVID, EFMLA FMLA uh, provisions. And so he was able to take three months of paid leave when my son was born. And the difference in his ability to show up in those early stages. now, you know, my daughter is almost five and my son is almost one. Now I've seen that. And for better or for worse, working from home together for the last year, I've been able to see how this helps him show up at work and see the, the difference in the way he's experienced fatherhood and how that has allowed him to thrive at work in a way that, that uh, he wasn't able to the first time around. And it's, it's, I think one of the ways to remove these barriers is to remove the stigma. I mean, part of the reason that he was able to take leave is that he had a very supportive manager um, who encouraged him to take it and helped him to take it. But, you know, he happens to have a wife who is in the HR space and understands how leave policies work and could help him sort through the paperwork. And a manager who was willing to show up and help him with that but like how many people across the country haven't taken advantage of the EFMLA leave to spend time with their families and share the burden of caregiving because they don't know that they have access to it or don't know how to use it or they feel they'll be stigmatized if they do use it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a lot of this too is is men role modeling this behavior, uh, exactly. right? Whether they're managers, whether they're dads, um, you know, role model it, talk about it, uh, live it. Mm-hmm it uh, champion it uh, talk about your experience and 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 I think the more we can do that the more we have those kind of positive role models and examples and conversations uh, you know the more we can as you know Amy to your point and kind of the Nordics uh, fight and assert our right to to be there and to be present and you know I I know we're 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 winding down on time now I I do have one more question I want to kind of put to both of you and I'll start with you Amy For listeners that are, you know, a lot of the listeners are HR operators, HR leaders. Um, For those that want to, uh, you know, kind of champion more parent, uh, you know, equitable programs within their companies. Are there any tips you have of just, hey, here are, you know, two, three, four things that you should do or audit or assess or support? Uh, that will make your organization, uh, you know, more welcoming uh, for uh, parental employees.
0: Yeah, well, I'm so glad you asked that, Lars, and I hope you will ask that of Kim also, because we both have a, you know, wealth of wisdom to share on this one, but I will say that we are just now working with Time's Up on an employer's guide for employers who want to meaningfully support their employees with caregiving responsibilities, and that will probably be available on our website, tendlab.com, uh, shortly after the when this podcast goes live. So you know, check out our website, tendlab.com, for an in-depth guide that we've created in partnership with Time's Up around supporting your employees with caregiving responsibilities, and I would say that the... The top three things that surfaced for us in doing the research and doing the work inside companies that led to the creation of this guide would be first, track the caregiver status of your employees. Like at the beginning of 2020, only 50. You know, at the beginning of 2020, 52 percent of employers didn't even know who in their workplace was a caregiver whether they were parents or not, um, unless they happened to have gone out on leave while they were working for the company um, or, in, or in case they happened to you know sort of have dependent status on their healthcare, they weren't tracking it. And so what we know is that what you track, what you measure matters. And if you're not measuring it, you can't assess its impact on productivity and performance. And the same study which showed that, that Joseph Fuller conducted out of um, Harvard that showed that only, uh, 48% of employers are even tracking caregiver status also revealed that those employers didn't think it really mattered, that having caregiving responsibilities didn't weigh that heavily on an employee's ability to show up at work. But when they surveyed the over or when they surveyed the roughly 75% of employees who said that they were currently caregivers, 80% of those 75% of the workforce said that it it did have a negative impact on their ability to show up at work that it affected their absent their productivity that it affected you know their their me- their ability to show up in a meaningful way and so by not tracking the data you're missing out on an opportunity to really develop some powerful solutions that can lead to enhanced productivity retention engagement and, and overall long-term success of your company so first thing i would say is track track your caregivers and track them in a really meaningful way and Kim can say more about you know what she suggests on that cuz she's had experience doing that Um, The second thing I would say is model from the top. Just like you said, Lars, model from the top that caregiving is a value within the company and that you as a leader within your company value and prioritize caregiving of your loved ones so that it's safe for others to do the same. Um, And then the third one I would say is, um, you know, obviously have parental leave policies that are in place that are available for all your workers, including your frontline workers that are equitable across your company Um, and make it an opt-out rather than an opt-in. So much like what we've discovered with organ donations, like if it's an opt-out of giving your organs in the case of, you know, catastrophic death, um, (laughs) that that people, you know, the the incredible, number of people who are now organ donors who who probably would have wanted to be but just didn't notice check the box now automatically are unless they fill out the paperwork to no longer give their organs so similarly. Taking parental leave should be an automatic opt in and you have to fill out the paperwork, not to take the full length of it. And I think in that way, we can help to we can help to move closer to the Nordic countries and that it being a given and an expectation and an assumption that everyone will take that leave and hopefully we'll get to the place like they are in the Nordic countries where if a man doesn't take their parental leave, there's this sense that something is defective about their character as opposed to the way it is here, where we assume that if they take that full leave they're not fully committed to their careers, because what we know is that if you show up for what you love in your home life, it enhances your ability to show up for what you love at work, and it makes you better all around.
2: Well said, Amy. Stole all of my answers. <laughs> I think to just the one thing I would add to that, Amy, is that when when we're talking about tracking and boy, oh boy, do I love my people analytics, I think it's really, really important to look at various cross sections and overlays of your demographic data. Um, A lot of folks focus on caregiver retention um, or even caregiver satisfaction or engagement, but really drilling down into those analytics on not just are your caregivers happy, but are there differences by team by role are your caregivers being promoted at rates that are equal to their non-caregiving counterparts um what percentage of your working population are our parents and are they all women or are they all men and, and really looking with a holistic view at your caregiver population rather than seeing them as all one lump um, especially during COVID, it's been highlighted the the vast the vast uh, assortment of caregiving needs that employees have it's not just parents um, especially with the aging boomer population there's going to be a lot of folks that have elder care responsibilities coming up in the following years and that's not even to mention people who have other caregiving needs outside of elder care and parenting Um, whether that's caring for a disabled spouse or a child with learning needs or uh, a sick family member you just you don't know the whole story behind someone's caregiving needs so really approaching it with gentleness and care and humility and allowing safe spaces at work and really we're doing the work to develop a company that is a safe space for care
1: yeah well kim amy i really appreciate you taking the time you've given uh the listeners and myself um you know a lot to think about on this extremely important topic for the field of HR and people ops and, uh, and, businesses in general. So, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing your wisdom and experience and helping us all get a little bit better in how we think about this field. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning into this episode of redefining HR for more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the redefining HR book or free resources. Be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.